I don't want to. I don't even know if edgy is the right word. It's like a bohemian version of goop, but in like a sexy New York way. Cool. Which is very much my like dream aesthetic. Hey everyone, Alex Mateo here. Welcome to Pull It Together, where I talk with women who are redefining what it means to be creative on their own terms. On this pod, we're going to have frank, funny, honest conversations with women who are breaking the mold and debunking myths of creativity. So, grab some coffee or tea or wine and <laughs> whatever feels like it's falling apart. We'll pull it together. Hello, my beautiful humans. Happy New Year. We did it. Do you listen to my raspy voice? This is what happens with radiator heat. Um, so hopefully it's like a Phoebe moment where... It just sounds really sexy and everyone enjoys listening to it. And if not, I'm sorry. Y'all, we did it. It was not easy. Um, But if you are listening to this podcast, it means that you have made it through what was probably one of, if not the most difficult year of your life. And friends, you should pat yourself on the back or give yourself a hug or a piece of chocolate because damn, that was not easy. That was hard. I mean, if I'm being honest, which I try to do on here, the last couple months of 2020 were kind of a shit show for yours truly. And I keep thinking back on it, wishing that I could pinpoint exactly why I was feeling low or uninspired. But honestly, I don't think there's like one reason. Your girl just like could not pull it together. So I decided to practice what I preach and take some time away from social media and a few weeks off from the podcast for the holidays and just some time with family and loved ones. And y'all, I am so, 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 so glad I did. Because let me tell you why. I was able to come back in 2020. I keep wanting to say in 2020, in 2021 thank God, with fresh ears and a revived spirit and excited to move into this next chapter with all of you. I mean, I think it's so easy to get caught up in the doing of life that you forget that the doing is supposed to feel good and it gets to feel good and joyful. So this is a really interesting episode for me because it was recorded before the holidays, actually the week of the election, and I was feeling vivi judgy of myself. In fact, I put off editing this episode because I was afraid I didn't ask the right questions and I was going to sound like an idiot. And I really, it was on the back burner because I, was, I just didn't want to listen to my own voice, which is not really kind, right? But after taking some time off to recalibrate, I finally listened and I was so surprised because it was one of my favorite episodes and it really resonated in a new way that I don't know if it would have had I not taken a step back. This has been a monumental year for everyone, but I think especially for creatives. You know, so many of us have lost our livelihoods and that doesn't just mean a creative livelihood. And I think when you listen to me talk, sometimes you think like, oh, the artist got, the Broadway got stripped away. We can't gather. We can't go to music festivals. But like a lot of people got 
everything stripped away. So be that a survival job or a side hustle, whatever gives you enough security to be able to dream freely. And what I don't think I fully acknowledged until I listened back to this conversation was how much pressure that puts on our creative passions. Aisha Ophelia is the creator behind the Girlfriend Manifesto, a women's space for inspired living. Her personal manifesto consists of a strong sisterhood, spirituality, radical self-love, and adventure. She is a passionate creator, writer, and visual artist, and I'm just obsessed with her. I was struck by so much of the wisdom Aisha shared. We talk about giving yourself the gift of being in community, using your creativity to find deeper meaning in the world, and death. And not just death with a capital D, but life's little deaths, the death of a job, the death of a relationship, the death of a dream, and the importance of creating ritual around these big thresholds. We are at the start of a very exciting new year. It feels like we are on the precipice of change. And I feel like this conversation is really going to resonate with you all. As you listen, I would love to challenge you to start thinking of what your own manifesto might look like. I'm going to be sharing mine over on Instagram at Pull It Together Pod. I would love to see what you all come up with. So post it to stories, post it to your grid, tag a girl, whatever, however we can connect. As Aisha says in today's chat, creativity is an open door, and I truly find myself so, so inspired when this community connects and shares, and it's just freaking magical. Speaking of connecting and creativity and sharing, I have some incredibly exciting news. I will be collaborating with my friends over at Gather and Grow to bring you my very first live workshop on awakening your creativity. I'm so freaking pumped because this is a really interactive workshop. It's going to be via Zoom. I'm going to lead you through a variety of creative exercises, journaling prompts, and discussions to help you find and define your own unique creative process. So at the end of this workshop, you are going to walk away feeling supported and like an active co-creator with the universe. So you can find details to sign up over on the gram at Pull It Together Pod or on our website, our new fancy website, pullittogetherpod.com. You can also find all the details over on Gather and Grow's Instagram, and that's gatherxgrowco. So the workshop is $15. And as I mentioned, this is a very collaborative experience. So it's that feeling of like a one-on-one session. So space is limited. So be sure to reserve your spot for January 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we can connect and create some ritual around your creativity. I think it's going to be super exciting. All right, my beautiful friends, let's get to today's conversation with Asia Ophelia. I will see you on the other side. Bye. So I'm so excited to chat with you today. Um, I kind of love to just start at the beginning and kind of get a feel for like who you were as a kid, like what yeah. you were curious about, like Aisha yeah. at eight and like, w- like how did that kind of shape who you see how that kind of shaped who you are now? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I was a bit painfully shy. I was pretty introverted, but I had this like 
really imaginative, creative spirit. And I, I could just keep myself busy for hours on end. And I think my parents were very concerned because I was like quiet and I wouldn't pop my head up much and I wasn't that much trouble, but I was just very creative. And I think I've always been sort of obsessed with the mystery of life and what's really happening. And so I had like imaginary friends, imaginary worlds, and I love being outside. I was really curious and inquisitive. Um, and I think the main thing that's changed is I've come out of my shell a bit, um, a bit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all been a stretch. I think there's a lot more to like come out, but that's kind of how I was as a kid. I was really connected to nature. We, we like a fun story. I moved into this house that my parents, I don't even know if they bought it or we were renting or to what it was, but these people left their horses. Like they just like we're done with their horses. They left them in a barn. So I grew up with horses, like learning how to take care of them, everything. So this was actually I was talking to my grandma about this because she lived with me when I was a kid. But yeah, I did a lot of like horseback riding when I was a kid, a lot of spending time outside. And I think that really shaped and molded my, my view of reality and like what life is about. Yeah. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Someone just left. Their- <laughs> I'm like, I'm from Kansas originally. And I'm like, First off, horses are pretty expensive. So you just like leave them. And then exactly. Say, what? Yeah. 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 My like whole brain is like, maybe they were fleeing from something, but. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> probably there was something not quite right about it, but the magic was, is that we got to grow up with horses and they're so gentle. And um, I learned so many lessons about just like how to be by interacting with horses. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting that you say like part of who you were like fundamentally as a child was you just had this innate curiosity. And I think when I think of creativity and when I think of creatives, like I think that's really where it all stems from. Yeah. I, I think it and it I think it's something that we lose as we age. And I don't know if it's because society tells us it's not valuable or we just get so distracted and focused by other things. But how how have you managed to really hold on to that through the years? Mm-hmm. You know, I think society will try to beat it out of you. And there's a quote that I love, and it's like the the creative adult is the the inner child that survived. And there's a book that I really love called, um, oh man, it's Julia Cameron. It's like the book that people do the morning pages. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Why um, can't I think of it? The artist, the artist way. Yes, the artist way. It was literally my book club. I feel so sad that it's it's evaporated, but. so many of those things and so many of those principles have stayed with me. And like, when I look back on who I was as a kid up until now, I think that because I took a test last night and it was like left brain versus right brain. And I'm like something like 90% right brain, 10% logic. So it really was like the only thing I'm good at. It's like the only thing I got high marks on was being creative or writing. And I remember like, being shy, but reading to kids, it's just like, I couldn't imagine trying to fit myself into any other sort of shape or container. And I mean, I somewhat did, I would do like, I would do marketing for like a law firm, for instance, I did that for a bit. And I was like, well, it's creative. It's like a middle point. I can take care of myself. But really about 10 or 12 years ago, I was like, I can't do what I've been doing anymore. I went from doing wedding planning, which was really creative. And I just kept parlaying it into different things that I wanted to do. And I was like, I'm never going back to work for someone. I'd rather like figure out how to do life than go back and work for someone. And so for me, I think it was just because I wasn't, I was so not good at anything else. (laughs) And I had to like fall back into 
my creativity and really the thing that's like brought me the farthest. So I don't know. I'm glad that I didn't, you know, totally abandon my creativity as I got older. Yeah. I mean, you, you're kind of trajectory and what you do is so interesting because you do have your hand in like so many pies, you know, you, you are like, when I think of the definition of like a creative, like as just a human, I think of you because you just, you really are open to just following what your intuition hints at. And, you know, I think something that we really or at least I have had to learn is to listen to those intuitive whispers and and learn to trust them. Was that always kind of innate in you or was that a process that you had to learn? It's been a process of of coming and going, if you will. I think that it was something that I probably questioned way more than than average people because I've I've found that it was like always my message. It was like the thing my friends would come to me for a pep talk if they wanted to leave like something practical and logical because they felt this deeper call. I'm always the one that's like fanning that flame. I'm like, do it, do it. You know, like we need the dreamers. And I've always been that person. And and I'll go through a phase where I'm like slapped in the face by reality or just think like, okay, I need to abandon this in order to whatever. But it's always short lived. And it feels like it always takes me on like the perfect detour to intersect back with like my truth and about how I live life. And the more that I've done that, the more, the more I see people who are just being themselves and sort of making it, you know, because Mm -hmm. like the thing we're all the most afraid of is if I follow this inkling, if I follow this thing, how am I going to live? Like, am I going to end up in my parents' basement? Like the world's set up in a certain way and it's not really so much for following your heart. So you know, it's been interesting. The more that I've followed my heart, the more abundance I've had, A, and the more I've seen people who are just like weird, weirdos doing their thing and people love it and they're making it. So, yeah. yeah. You know, it, I was just, I forget who I was having this conversation with. Might have been my therapist, but I was having this conversation about like, I think that we just are so afraid of failure just as like humans because it's not it just has a stigma around it that it's like this horrible thing. And like you said, like you're going to end up living in your parents' basement. And then it's like, sometimes it's just helpful to like go through and be like, okay, but like actually what is the worst that could happen? Like truly what is the worst that can happen? And not that much. Like I feel like the the worst thing that can happen is when you follow your dreams, it's like... you might have to go get a side hustle. You might have to go back some groceries exactly. <laughs> while you exactly. figure it out. Yeah. And everyone who has gotten anywhere has um, learned from failure. I like to like take failure out of my vocabulary and it's more about feedback. It's like, okay, that didn't work. You know, they just say fail fast and like move on. But because we're so afraid to even fail, we just like stay stagnant rather than like, oh, I bruised my knee. I fell down. I'm going to get back on my bike. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to be fine. And typically that's how it is. Once it's like the, the, the failure and the fear in your mind is this monster. That's just the scariest thing. And then when you endeavor to do something, you're like, Oh, okay. Usually, you know, like Mm -hmm. I, I have everything I need to like get over this challenge or whatever. Yeah. So how did it come? How did you come to create the girlfriend manifesto? Cause I'm obsessed with this. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. So, you know, it was a perfect storm. It was like, 
I had always been really creative. And like when the first blogs came out, I was really like so intrigued, but I was also horrified that people were like putting their thoughts online. And then people started blogging and I was also intrigued and horrified because I didn't know if I wanted to show up on screen. But these are all the things I love. I love expressing myself. Basically, I I kind of view myself as an artist now. And I like my obsession is just um, how realities form, God, mystery, like all these things. And so I use this medium to explore my ultimate question. And for me, at the time that the Girlfriend Manifesto started, my mom was sick. My marriage was falling apart. I was working at this law firm. I wasn't really happy. And boom, like it was like a catalytic event, all these things at once. And I was like, all right, I know what I need. I need my sisterhood. I felt this like, and I've always been like a girl's girl. And I've always been a girl that like maintained friendships and really like put a lot of myself into my friends. And so I, yeah, the name came to me and then I decided to have a gathering. And at the time it was kind of an off screen thing. It was just me inviting like women that I'd seen in the community. And I'm like, oh my God, she's a badass. I don't know what she's doing, but there's something about her. I want to invite her. I invite, invite my friends and we'd all leave. It was before I even experienced like a women's circle or like a talking stick or any of these, like, you know, like, yeah, I, I didn't know anything about that. I just knew that I needed my sisters. The name, the girlfriend manifesto came in and then soon I took it online and it was six years ago. And that time, I think I was talking to no one about nothing, <laughs> but I just kept talking about the things that I love, which is sisterhood, adventure, self-love, and spirituality. And it just grew. And I think the coolest thing about the community is that there's not a week that I that I don't get a message from someone that's really reflecting to me the the ideals and the place that I want it to feel like. Like you can come, like come as you are, you know, no matter like your race, religion, whatever's going on, come as you are and leave feeling like, you know yourself better, like there's more space. And so I get notes like that all the time. And then, oh, what was the second thing? Oh, this set, the people that are attracted to it are like people that I've admired all the time. And not, I don't want to name drop or anything, but these like, they're not like necessarily like superstar, superstar, but they're like people whose books I read, like Sark and like, um, I don't know, just these are people that are part of the community and have like reflected back to me that I'm giving something of value. And so it really feels like, holy shit, like, I didn't even know what I was doing at first. I just kept pouring in and pouring in and, you know, you lift your head five years later and you've built something that's really beautiful. Sounds cheesy. Sounds like the notebook. (laughs) No, no, it doesn't sound cheesy. It sounds like just divine, like timing. And, and, and it really does, you know, I think, I think so many of us get, um, chastised for dreaming or for having our head in the clouds or for just like really leaning into this like divine feminine side of us. And so I I think that like this is such a beautiful representation of like what femininity in like its truest form is and what it can be. I'm curious, like in terms of sisterhood, like what did that look like for you growing up? Like how was that represented to you growing up? Well, I think, you know, like I mentioned, I, you know, as a kid, there were things, uh, several things that were important to me. And, you know, just like everyone else, my friends were, but I just found myself being like, I don't know, a bit more romantic about friendship, you know, a bit more like, like I was usually the one that would keep in touch and like keep things connected. And, you know, friendships can look so many different ways. And it's easy to be like, oh my God, if this person's not you know, as invested as I am or whatever, then it's a no go. But I just have always been that person that was like, okay, 
high road. And also like, I want to connect with people. So it's just always something that was really important to me. And I think the way that I differentiate sisterhood and friendship is almost like your chosen family. Like I, friends come and friends go. Right. And then I think like sisterhood is something deeper. It's like, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like an amount of time or a certain type of connection in a relationship, but it's really like a place and a feeling where you can come and be yourself and know that you're taken care of and know that you're nurtured. I think women do that well. They're like, have you eaten? Like sit down. Like, you know what I mean? We're like, we just take care of each other. And so that sisterhood bond is powerful and it's powerful for men to watch women and like women folk be, be in communion with each other. It's something that I think is scary, but it's so much been reflected back to me. Like, wow, like, you know, like women get to be in these spaces and really like let their hair down and be themselves. And there's not that many place for like men or people who identify as men. So um, it just feels like the gift that keeps on giving, you know, when you're with someone, you just had a conversation and you feel like, Oh my God, my soul's been fed. Like I feel so okay, even though everything's not okay. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what sisterhood is and what sisterhood has given me. And And like, it's one of the four pillars of the things that mean a lot to me. Like, you know, the Girlfriend Manifesto is not just an idea. It's like a set of ideals that I really check in with myself on often. Like, you know, if I'm not feeling like something's right, it's like, all right, you know, have you eaten enough? Have you slept? Have you connected with a sister? Have you like, have you done something for your spirit? And it just always reminds me to like come home to myself and come home to those things that I feel like make my life worth living. Yeah. I think for so long, we've been taught our condition by society to specifically as women think that like there's only enough space for one of us. Like there's only enough space for one person to succeed or for one person to do well. And I think one of the things that, you know, I keep learning as I, you know, go through life is that's just like not true. It's just a lie. And we're all on, there's, there's room for everyone. And I, I think that that is something that we are slowly, but surely starting to realize. And, and I'm curious, like for yourself, um, did you ever experience that in your personal life? And, And how have you been like rewriting that narrative, not just for girlfriend manifesto, but personally for yourself? Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think as a black woman that grew up in the South, it was like, okay, if there is a position, there's probably not even going to be a woman of color. And if there is, there's only one. So count yourself out if someone else looks like you in the room. So I think for as long as I've been in this body, I've really had to like invent a world where I was included because I wasn't waiting for society to be like, okay, you can do this thing. Okay. You're welcome. You know, it's like Solange said, it's like, you have to like build your own table and like give yourself the award and not wait for the outside world to validate it. Because in many ways that, that paradigm is still true out there. But I think like what the artist does and what the creative does is they build a world where they can include themselves. So it's been something that I've been doing for as long as I can remember. And it wasn't always easy. And it obviously still isn't. But I think the more of us who kind of see that see life that way and start to include ourselves and not wait for permission to, you know, be the thing or do the thing, I think is a really powerful mindset to adopt. Yeah. I've heard you talk on this idea of the sister wound before. And and I would love to hear kind of your idea of like what that is. Yeah. 
Well, it definitely stems from the mother wound. We see what, you know, the symptoms of that are. And they, I feel like they manifest in a similar way through the sister wound. And it's like, sometimes you can have a mistrust of women, or you can feel like you have to be in competition with another woman. They're very, it's like they're cousins. They're so closely related to the relationship that we had with our mother and the things that we felt that we got or didn't got, get, <laughs> but um if we had, you know, if, okay, one thing I think is amazing is that we can return to ourselves as, you know, probably everyone who's listening is like an adult, probably 18 or over. And we still have mothers in our lives who are sometimes our friend and sometimes our foe. But the thing that we can do is like learn how to like reparent ourselves. And when we do that, we, we not only address the mother wound, but we address the sister wound. So you know, I talk on it and I feel like it's so connected and, you know, the way that it can look is, like I said, mistrust for other women. Um, I think that's the most insidious way it shows up because the thing that we need more than anything is our sisterhood. And if we don't give ourselves the gift of being in community, which sometimes looks like I'm not feeling this person, but I got to learn how to navigate that and not just totally reject them. Um, yeah, I think those are those are the ways I see it the most. And those are the, you know, the fruits of it is that we get to not only accept people for who they are, but accept the parts of ourselves that we might want to put like in the background or, or not admit that we have a characteristic, like someone that we're, that we're upset with. Um, it just creates this, this acceptance. And I think we could all let ourselves off the hook a little bit. Yeah. Why do you think it's so important to heal you know, past wounds and past traumas and generational trauma in order to like fully show up in these more vulnerable um, relationships? Mm, because we'll literally wear that programming. We'll show up in the same way over and over again, thinking that things will change. It's like, you know, it's basically a distortion. Like when a baby comes into the world, they are looking at life with curiosity. They are loving if they have all their needs met. They're really this blank slate. And then through, you know, they say in our DNA for like seven generations, we do carry some residuals of the way that our mothers were, our grandmothers were. So yes, that's true. Um, but also I think that it's our job to, you know, continue to remove those distortions so we can show up as our most authentic self, so we can let down our guards. We don't have to carry that fucking heavy weight. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's just baggage. It literally is. And who wants to drag around, you know, seven generations of baggage? A lot of that stuff can be um, alchemized and released and, you know, we can, we can become more of ourselves. Yeah. So I want to talk about, you know, of the, well, first off, let me go back. Can you share specifically what your manifesto is and why why you think women should have one, why it's important to have one? And yes. Yeah. Well, a manifesto is a set of declarations. And, you know, everyone's like anxiously awaiting um, the results of the election. And, you know, our country was founded on these certain ideals. And um, it, science shows that if you write something down, you're like, five times more likely to have it manifest in your life. So there is something about like taking time out intentionally to say, who am I? What do I want? And taking time to like put it, actually put it down on paper and have it in front of you. Like, I think that, you know, my rules for spirituality is that it's simple, it's accessible and that we can all do it. You know, I love all of the like goopy stuff too, but 
I really want to speak to things that are simple to do. And so we all have time, we all have a pen and pad, and we all have imagination to sort of um, think about like, what are the declarations of my life? What makes me feel independent? What makes me feel, feel free and actually getting it down? And so when I started to do that process, and especially when the Girlfriend Manifesto came in, at first it was just a name. And then I was like, okay, well, what am I really talking about here? Like, what, what do I really want to impart? And those four pillars came up and they were, again, sisterhood, adventure, self-love, and spirituality. So, I, so with that manifesto, I started filtering everything that I wanted to share through that lens. And when I sit down, you know, once a year and make my own manifesto, it's like, I mean, it's sort of like, it's similar to the desire map process. And I don't know if people know Danielle Laporte's work, but you really sit down and you, you know, instead of just making this crazy to-do list, you're like, okay, what do I really desire more than anything? What do I want, you know, my life to look like? And you sit down and you create the manifesto. And so when I have that, it's almost like GPS. It's like, okay, is this situation, relationship, job going to bring me closer to those things on my manifesto? If not, then I need to see if that the exchange of my life force energy is even worth it, you know? And it's really helped keep me like sharp and accountable and, and creative and it's ever changing. That's, that's the thing too, is like, it's not a one and done thing. Although you may see that there's like similarities and some like of the like root principles are still there some of the things and the way that you want to express yourself will change year to year. And it's cool just to look back and be like, you know, this is the last like six years of my life in form of a manifesto. You say self-love is one of those pillars. And I think it's that's such an interesting phrase because I think so often it gets tied up in this like self-care aspect where it's like, yeah. Manny Patty, put on a mask. Like exactly. the, like you're saying, like the goopier side, which yeah. I love. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm curious, like how you define self-love specifically when it relates back to like one of these pillars for you. Yeah. Yeah. I love this distinction. It's something that I've talked um, a bit about over the years. And I think um, self-care is an expression of your self-love and self-love is invisible. It's about like who we are when no one's there and like, how do we cultivate self-love for ourselves? And really the only answer that I found is like tapping into my spirituality. And obviously that looks like different to, it looks different to different people, depending on who you're talking to. Um, but for me, it's like, that's what feeds my, my self-care and my self-worth. And from that place, then I'm able to say, okay, I am going to take the time to do that meditation, even if I have to discipline myself, because I know it makes my inner world better. Yes, I'm going to take the time to run this bubble bath instead of rushing out the door. Yes, I'm going to take the time to write this manifesto. And so it's this like... Uh, what's the name for this system? It feeds, it, it feeds itself, you know, it feeds mm-hmm. itself. Once you start to tap into um, the aliveness that's within you, we're all like, I just love, I love nature as a way to understand what's going on with me. And, you know, in nature, like a seed's planted, um, it's watered, it's definitely going to bloom. And I feel like that's what self-love is. And then whatever blooms from that is how we, how we categorize self-care. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because that word, when I first started using it, it wasn't as overused, but now it just kind of feels like, well, what is that? Is it like a product? Is it like something, is it a way that I think? And for me, it's all about this inner landscape and how we cultivate, um, how we cultivate it. Yeah. You know, I love that distinction. I was talking with um, 
Krista Williams a while back and she was saying, she goes, you know, there's a, a really fine line between working on yourself because you love yourself and working on yourself because you actually hate yourself or don't yeah. like yourself. And I think so often this like more surface level idea of like self-care comes from this place of like needing to fix things. Yeah. And I think self-love is really like learning to love all parts of yourself, even like these shadowy sides. Yeah. And I thought of like, when you were talking, it's like how we tend to garden, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. you have to take the time to like pull the weeds and check in with yourself. And it's not because like, oh my God, I'm imperfect and whatever, but it's this like, it's just a natural outpouring of the fact that we've been given a life, it's like, yeah, I want to take care of it. Like what, you know, there's nothing at all wrong with that. And so there, you know, there is a distinction. And I think for me, it's like less about striving and more about being. Cause I think at first I thought it was this like marathon and striving and there was like somewhere to arrive at. And, you know, actually quite recently, I've totally abandoned that idea about what that is. And in place, it's like, okay, I get to be human. I get to be flawed. I get to be me. I get to be I get to be instead of striving and it, it really feels different. It feels different on the inside. It might look the same on the outside because you're going through similar motions, but it really does feel different to like surrender and let that, let that I'm trying to get over there thing go and instead be like, how do I want the quality of this moment to be? And you know, the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. Yeah. Hello. Hello. So y'all, I just need to pop on real quick and tell you about kind of like one of my favorite Christmas gifts. It has been giving me life. So as I mentioned in the intro today, I was not in the most luxury place at the end of the year. And when that happens, my skin tends to backfire on me and it just started to freak the fuck out truly like cystic acne under the skin acne all over my chin and neck it was not cute y'all so fast forward me opening my skin owl glow stick on christmas morning and y'all things started to change what i've been using is i use my skin owl pomegranate cleanser which is their new cleanser and i'm obsessed with it i use it twice a day I just follow with a quick, quick mist of like rose water, whatever toner you use. And then I use like five drops of clary sage. And then here's the kicker, friends, and what I think is responsible for changing my life. I walk my tush over to the fridge where I keep my ice cold glow stick and I go to town on my face and neck for like five minutes. It lifts, it smooths, it contours. I am in love. And if you are really wanting to up your spa luxury experience. I have been keeping my Maki Berry Whip, which is another Skin Owl product, in the fridge. So it's you can it's like a miracle product. You can use it for everything. I've been using it actually as an overnight mask because again, radiator heat. Um but when you keep it in the fridge, it literally just f- feels like a smoothie for your face. It's incredible. Um I am five days into this routine and my skin is glowing gorgine friends so if you want to try the glow stick or the whip which i highly highly recommend you should head over to skinowl.com use the code together at checkout and you'll get 15 percent off your order all right my beautiful friends back to our conversation with asia ophelia 
I want to go back to like talking about this idea of dreams a little bit because, you know, you've developed this um, program, the Society of Wild Hearts, and it just speaks to my soul because it's basically like the way I interpreted it was like a support system for like your dreaming and your curiosities. And, and, you know, you say this, the, like the weight of unlived dreams is heavy. And I think it is a heaviness that is so prevalent in this world. And I, I would love for you to share, you know, why it's important to explore dreams and explore curiosities, even if it doesn't end up being like the thing Mm -hmm. to, to really honor those those curiosities and those dreams that come up within us and, and feel them. You know, it's good for your health to dream like on a literal level, when we go to sleep at night, part of the function of the dream is to put our bodies into this like parasympathetic place where we can heal. And when we're dreaming with our eyes, like when we're dreaming uh, with our eyes open rather than closed, the the feeling in the body is still the same. So on one level, it's so physiologically necessary. On another level, it makes us feel really good to connect with our dreams. You know, we've been turned into this like logical society and there is a weight for that. You know, um, there's something about coming back to balance that's so that is so important. And so to, to remedy that place within myself, I was like, you know, what would I have wanted? And I I would have wanted a place where I could come and dream and be curious, not have to turn my idea into a product, you know, talk to other people who had big dreams, but didn't necessarily know how to ground them. And that can be one thing about being in the cloud so much is like, how do I actually ground this thing? Because the dream does want to live. It doesn't necessarily want to be something that's always floaty, something that's always not real. And in some way, we can always ground our dream. And so I really, for me, I was like, okay, I took these two parts of myself, these two parts of my brain where I can just be like off in the clouds, no dreams too big. How do I figure out how to ground a part of that into reality? Because I think it's part of it. And so Society of Wild Hearts was really about like how to take that really creative side and get it down on paper and then take small but joyful incremental steps towards creating it without so much pressure on it. Because again, like the dream is a seed and it doesn't need to stand up to the weight of the pressure of um, being able to take care of yourself, take care of you before it's ready. So like, for instance, with the Girlfriend Manifesto, it was like, okay, I planted the seed. I had no clue what it was going to turn out to be. I had no clue what this baby was going to be about. I just was doing it. And then when I looked back a few years later, I was like, all right, this is actually something substantial. It has roots. I'm sure of a lot of things. I'm not going to not do it anymore. I mean, we've all bought like the expensive equipment and then we're like, I'm not really into this. (laughs) So um, yeah, I, I gave myself that time and let it bloom and then let it bear the weight of certain things. And so I think that, you know, there is something about getting back into our, the dreamer side of our brain. It's healthy. Um, it makes us feel alive. It, it decreases our stress. And I, I mean, I really think at the end of the day, peace is the thing that we're all looking for. I, I saw this clip of Cardi B and it was like one of the only times I've seen her serious in an interview. And the guy was like, 
are you happier now than you were before you were broke? And she really had to like sit down and think about it. And she didn't say no, because obviously like (laughs) we do need money in this realm, but she was like, there's things about it that are good, but there's a lot about it that has like basically stolen her joy, you know? And like at the end of the day, I think that that's what we're all looking for rather than a possession or whatever. We're looking for that feeling of peace and joy within our own selves. So I think it, I think it directly connects us to that, that space. Uh, I, I'm curious, you know, we're in this like really crazy time, you know, with, with COVID, with so much of the economy being hit and being, you know, not knowing what the future is. It, it feels like at least personally, I'm putting so much pressure on my dreams to be like, how can I monetize this? How can I turn this into something so that it, so that I have a backup plan, so that I have a fallback plan? Is there a way to like walk that line um, while still giving your dream and your curiosities like breathing room? Yeah. I saw your dog. I wanted to see it more. I just saw oh, it's little. Yeah. <laughs> it's little. <laughs> this is Millie. Hi, honey. That's so cute. Um, Yeah, I think one that we're going back to basics, right? And part of, you know, it's so easy to think my future is all on my shoulders. I have to do every single thing. And I think one thing I'm returning back to is the idea of community where we come together to, and I'll talk about what this can maybe look in a practical sense, but I think one of the gifts of this time has been like, we're interdependent. Like we need each other. Um, mm-hmm. My future is the thought of me having to make every single thing work about my life is too much. I think that's why I lean back on like my spiritual side, my community, the sisterhood that I have, being able to ask for help. We're not supposed to be these people in these ticky tacky boxes who have to do everything, who have to bear every weight of everything. It's like when we remember in our souls being a part of a tribal society. And if someone needed something, they were given it. And like on a deeper level, like all the trees in the forest are connected by mycelium. If there's some trees over here that are thirsty, they're not doing well. What do these trees do? They send resources over to other people. So something I'm trying to let go of is the idea that I have to do it all because I can't, you know, I have to ask Mm -hmm. for help. And one of the ways that it's looked like practically in this time that's been so good for me is like partnership. So it's, you know, when I started the Girlfriend Manifesto, I had a partner and it was more about just having someone there because no shade to my girl, but I was doing everything, you know, she was just sort of there in spirit. And something that I've been doing over the last few months is I've partnered with all of these amazing people who are like these small little companies. Like I did I did something with these two women that made this yoga mat called a ritual rug. I want to grab it just to show it to you. Yeah, yeah. You won't be able to see it. But a few months ago, I got a download on a death ritual that I was going to have to do. And I know that sounds probably so morbid and people don't like to think about it or talk about it, but it's something that's really brought the best out in my life, even though it's been really hard. And so as soon as I had the idea, this company ritual rug contacted me and they're like, Hey, do you have a ritual that you like will pay you to do? And I'm like, I do. I have this death ritual. <laughs> and then it just kept happening like that. Another little company that does these really cool um, monthly boxes that have spiritual things in them. They contacted me not too long after. And it's just been like, boom, 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 one after the other. And 
sometimes we think we need these like big companies to like recognize us. And of course that would be nice, but what's really been like keeping me alive is these like little connections with women who just had an idea, who just really wanted to do something and they're doing it. And so that's been something that's been huge for me to remember is that it's not, it's not all on me. Like I, I believe strongly in magic. I believe strongly in synchronicity. And over the past few months, it's just been like, holy, it's just been blowing me away even more than usual. How quickly I'll think about something. And then I get a phone call saying, do you want to do that? And we'll pay you. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> in it, fact, it I really do. It's crazy. Like the interconnectedness of the universe, because like it, it's simple as like thinking of someone and them like 10 seconds later calling you it's yeah. it's like there is like this energy exchange that is like within the inner workings of this realm and yeah. it, it it is crazy when it like happens so instantaneously that you're like holy shit i recognize that that's yeah. crazy yeah exactly i think that's the antidote till i have to do it on myself is the remembrance of community and you know like we're waiting for we're waiting for the election results. And of course those matter. And, you know, I feel like to move forward and with a certain feeling, you know, one thing needs to happen over the other, but at the end of the day, like we're, we're the ones that are, are continuing with community. Like, you know, they're going to be far away and they're big houses writing these bills. And we're going to be the ones who are like, who's pouring my coffee? Who am I interacting with? That's where I want to build community. And that's been just huge for me recently. Yeah. I want to talk about this idea of death and transitions. It is such an interesting topic in the sense that like it doesn't really get talked about a ton, but you know, we're in the fall. There is like this idea of like this needing of death in order to have like this rebirth. And, and I'm curious, like, how did that topic start coming to you? What did you feel pulled to? And can you kind of explain what you mean when you're saying like a ritual around death? Yeah. 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 So I have four planets in Scorpio. And for those people that are connected to their astro, their astro in their life, they know that, you know, there's certain proclivities, if you will, with each sign. And for like Scorpios, it's death, sex, money, taboos. So my whole life, even before I really connected with like having my chart read or I use that as a way to understand myself or life better. Oh, it just, I have to like, just not trigger warning, but I just remember the first time I saw a dead body or I was at a funeral, I was so alive in that moment. And I was so aware that this is something that's going to happen to me. Why is no one, why is no one talking about it until that, that point in your life? And you know, as I grew and I grew in mythology and looking at death as um, a metaphor for transition, a metaphor for how we, how willing we are to abandon what we know and walk out into the unknown, which is required for dreams, relationship, following your heart. So there's this element of death that's omnipresent, that's always with us. And as far as I know, it's one of the only things that uh, connects every single one of us. It's like we're born and then we die, you know, but no one's talking about it. And so my mom passed away six years ago and it was right when the Girlfriend Manifesto was starting, when it was becoming like an online presence. And that was something that really oddly supercharged my life. You know, I feel like, okay, I was going along. I definitely was following my heart, but it's like, 
my life became in technicolor after that happened. And so many things opened up for me. And so I was like, wow, this, A, this is not an aspect of death that they talk about, that it can really be transforming to your life. And then on top of that, I had to work through my own grief with my own system, you know, sort of seeking out different things from ancient texts, like how do people mourn? Is some of the reason that we don't accept death is because it's so far removed from us, we don't have to see it. I just started asking all of these questions and um, finding more information, you know, and when my mom passed, I was like, I hadn't even heard this term like in popular culture yet. And it's not even very much out there, but I was like, I want to be a death doula. I want to be able to help and work with people at the end of their life. And not only at the end of their life, but creating ritual around big thresholds. So I had like a death of a marriage. I had a death of a career and we don't mourn these things. We're like, all right, on to the next. And Mm -hmm. it actually stays with us. So the ritual actually walks us through, yes, the process of releasing the body. So there's nine contemplations of death that I found that's an ancient Tibetan text. And then I, I added a 10th contemplation, which is really about the mystery of death and how do we know really what's happening. And there's been so many unexplainable things around death. And even science says that energy never ends, it just transforms. And to be frank and honest, I have a real relationship with my mom and she's not even in this realm. So like through the dream time, through impressions, through signs, through symbols, through music, I'm connected to my mom. And there's so many stories I could tell that I would hopefully turn a non-believer into a believer, but who knows, you know, if people don't believe in it, it's not, it's not really possible, but yeah, the ritual. So the ritual guides you through that. It also gives you time to mark those, those little deaths in life that, that we don't mark, like the end of a relationship the end of a job, um, the end of a friendship, all these things that are a lot of energy that could change our lives. Instead, we stuff it down, you know, and I think that creates disease in the body. It literally creates disease. So we, you know, coming together in a place where we consider something that's uncomfortable is so powerful. I've seen it over and over and over again, especially with this conversation. As uncomfortable as it is, it's going to happen. And the more comfortable we get with it, you know, the more we can actually live life. Like having a conversation about death is also having a conversation about the quality of the life that we live. And if we want to bury our heads and not talk about it, that tells me a lot about how someone lives their life. Wow. I love this because this is actually so relevant to um, something that I've been dealing with personally, which is, I, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a Broadway actor. So I'm in Mrs. Doubtfire on Broadway when the sky isn't falling. And this is something that I've really been struggling with is this idea of acknowledging that I need to like mourn these losses and mourn kind of, I don't, this sounds so like (laughs) dramatic, but like the death of a dream. But like, um, because it feels like by acknowledging that and by mourning that small death, as you put it, um, I'm shutting the door on possibility. And and I'm thinking maybe like for in terms of like the death of a relationship, the death of a marriage is that like when we hear the word death, it feels so final. Mm-hmm. So it actually stops us from like processing yeah. in our body, like w- what that feels like. Is there a way does is that part of processing it? Is it is shutting the door on it completely or is it? No, you just talk about it more. Like you just, it's just repetition. Like, you know, the idea is shocking because we so deny that it has a place. 
Mm. Um, but in other cultures where it's not shocking, it's not shocking. And it doesn't, there's no energy around it because they have a belief system in place. They have a protocol that doesn't remove you from it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably going to feel like something. And I think the beauty of what death does is that it creates space. So like, if there's a lot of energy, we're like batteries, you know, and there, if there's a lot of energy spun up and even if you don't feel it, it's still there. If you haven't properly grieved something and you just decided to stuff it away and whenever it comes up, you get a feeling and you don't let that feeling complete. It's li- literally like energy in the body that gets stuck. So most of us have this. We have all this stuck energy around past things that were hurtful. We don't want to admit that they hurt us. We don't want to let them go. But what happens is that, you know, that energy is recycled. It's recycled into space and more possibility. And it's something that is not necessarily a one-time event. You don't just grieve something that really hurt you and you're done with it. Um, Someone that I love who I'm recently reading a lot of his books is he's like, grief is a way to say thank you for life. It's like, if you don't grieve something, you didn't love it, you didn't care about it, you don't give a shit about it. And that's true. It's like, if you love something, you grieve it. And he's like, when you're done grieving, you look like you grieved. You know, it's not this pretty like, oh, you know, it's like, let yourself go to where you need to go to be able to release. And I think that that's, that's another reason why we suffer in this culture is because we're like, we're cool as cucumbers always. Let him see you sweat. Like, don't show your emotion. And it's so toxic and it's so not the right way. And you know, I, I know people are going to think, well, everyone's just going to be on the street corner wailing. And maybe it's because we need to be like the things that we've seen recently are horrifying. Yeah. And if you don't have a grief practice in place, you're just making yourself sick. We're just keeping old, old patterns in the world alive. So I'm so passionate about this work because we all need a place where we can go to grieve and for that to look like what it needs to look like. And to consider these things that we don't often consider so we can take some of the power away from them and like regain it in our own lives. It's not just like woo-woo spirituality. It's like, no, it's real. It really is real. And we can, we can live in a certain way if we're willing to look at grief and look at death and look at darkness and look at the shadow and look at fall in a different way. What is the line, I guess, between grieving and feeling and releasing that energy and like self-indulgence, I guess. Like, like how, how does it go from feeling the weight of an emotion to, to then being able to like really move through to the other side of it? But see, I think that's the mind and that's how the mind is just not our friend because the body knows when it's done grieving. Like if we learn to trust the animal of our body it's not going to keep us frozen in a state of grief. It's not going to make us act out. You know, it's like when we don't give ourselves over completely to that process is when the mind comes in and tries to alter something that's so natural. It just, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's all it is. It's like that we haven't been taught, like the mind is, mind, mind is God. And that's how we, you know, we just, we overthink everything and we bring our, you know, we bring our thoughts into something that the body, the body's so wise. Like before all of this modern technology, we knew how to birth babies with a really, like a huge success rate. We knew how to even do C-sections in Africa. We knew how to do all of it. Like 
we knew it. And somehow, as we've become so advanced with technology, we've relied so fully on our logic that we've forgotten that there's a creative aspect to life. Like, I'm not sitting here telling my heart to beat itself. My subconscious knows how to run that, you know? Like, there's, 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 a, there's a place that we need to return to where these answers live, and it's really way more simple than, we're, than we realize. It's way closer to. Yeah. We've talked in this conversation a lot about spirituality and, and kind of getting into flow with that. Have you always, how do you define spirituality, I guess, is, is my question. It's the ever-present mystery. And for some people, it's an obsession. And for others, they just take it for granted that we don't really know how we got here, where we came from. Um, but to me, this is like my great obsession of life. And there's a lot of people who shared this like thirst and hunger for, so like next year I'm doing this thing called the consciousness explorers club and you get a postcard once a month. And in this postcard, you get instructions for how to defy the reality that we live in or make it a little bit more slippery or play with it. You know, it's like, to me, I figured out that everything's relational and a lot of these invisible energies that keep us alive that are scientific are also like. You know, so science says, like, if I'm observing something through a microscope, it, um, it looks a different way than if no one's observing it. So, you know, this interconnectedness that we all talked about, like, to me, it's like Wi-Fi is magical. And the fact that I can airdrop something to your phone just like fucking blows my mind. So I, I kind of lost the thread of the question, but it's just the ever-present mystery, right? It's, that's what I think it is. And I think that we can not only can we learn how to work with it, but there's so many other cultures that learned how to work with it and did amazing things in Egypt and, and not that long ago, things that defy even, we can't even figure out how they did certain things. And so, you know, we're the same people that can do that. And so my whole life has been like dedicated to just pulling at that thread. And like the more you pull, it's like the less you realize you know, but the stuff that you do know is so magical that it really changes your life. And even like science came in to try and explain these magical phenomenon that were happening. And we've made that like, it's just that we live in an upside down world. So like take something that you think, you know, as a fact and like flip it upside down and look at it a different way and proceed with life and see what opens up for you. It can be, it can be also playful. It doesn't have to be so serious. It doesn't have to be so like heady and I love like the fact that I like to think about things a lot, but sometimes I'm like, holy shit, that's torturing me. I have a body. I can like rely on my instinct just as like a cougar can or like something in nature that we're like, how do, how do they even know how to do that? Like the hundredth monkey thing, which do you know about the hundredth monkey effect? No. So like if there's like, say there's monkeys in like sub-Saharan sub Africa and there's monkeys in India. And it's like way back when they're learning how to like wash their food. Once the hundredth monkey knows how to do the thing, magically over there, those monkeys know how to do it too. So like the more that we, remember when people didn't believe that we could have an airplane or fly or that there, you know, even like the 10 minute mile wasn't possible. And as soon as we believed it, it was like, oh, it actually is. And so now it's not even a thing. It's like, how do we keep progressing forward, we have to let go about our ideas of the known reality to embrace the fact that we can be like superhuman. I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but I really believe it. And like all of the, you know, uh, Brian Weiss and Joe Dispenza, who does these like 
meditation. I don't want to call it a boot camp, but it kind of is because the dude's doing it. But like people go there and they have like miraculous things happen, things that would make the hairs on the back of your head stand up. And, you know, they're real, they're documented. And so to me, this is like where we, we need to be going. <laughs> I love it. I love that you use the example of like Wi-Fi because it, it. I think so often we hear about spirituality and we hear about like, you know, getting back to this flow and getting back into this like sense of wonder. And it's easy to think that all these new technological advances and this progress that we made is like all bad. And, and it, it's not. It's like there's a world that we can live in in that kind of in-between. I, you know, I think it's just coming back to being curious. Yeah, I really exactly. do. Yeah, I love that when you're you're just like, I'm curious about this because that's how, A, that's how you work with, I do a lot of work with the dream time as a way to heal. And like, you know, it's free. We can all learn how to remember our dreams and to work with them. And so the main tool in dream work is curiosity. You're sharing dreams with someone else. You're really curious about their dreams. So it makes them curious. And they're like, oh my God, I never thought of that. Like. So just the way that you've been, we've been like sharing information through curiosity is like just the bit, like if you take away one thing from this, it's like curiosity is an open door and not having curiosity, having judgment and having too much knowing. I know that probably messes with your brain saying, you know, what if you said I didn't know anything and you live life like that? I actually think you'd probably be more joyful, but curiosity is an open door. The energy can flow in and out. It's not like, oh, I already know this, you know, like. And, you know, another story is like in these times where someone can share something on social media, it makes you bristle. You're like, just automatically you throw in a judgment. I had two opportunities yesterday of all days. I just found myself like typing and I was like, shit, stop. Why are you doing this? (laughs) And it was like with a friend. And of course she bristled at first and then her response made me bristle. And then she was like, all right, I'm going to be curious. And then I decided to do the same thing. And at the end, we're like crying. And like, even though we believe different things, like this is so beautiful. And if we could just remember our curiosity, I think that that would alone change our lives. Mm. Yes. So I love to close out every interview with, I call it a life spark, something that is filling up your soul, sparking up your life. It can be anything from a really amazing cookie to winning the Pulitzer. So what is sparking up your mm. life these days? Can I have two obsessions right now? Sco- you can okay, have as so many like, as you want. Scorpios are obsessed individuals. And I think you can have healthy obsessions. And two of mine right now are working with um, songs as divination tools. So I'm making this like really fun Oracle deck and way to basically use music as, um, yeah, information. And it's like the the few people, like if you follow my Instagram stories, a lot of people are already doing it and they'll send me back little stuff. And I'm like, yes, it's simple, but there's also an art to it. So I'm making a little zine for people. And then my other obsession is just working with my dreams. We've talked about it a little, but I've had a dream partner for over a year and I've started to chart my dreams and it's like changing my life. Like it's so, the things that I can do in my dreams are out of this world a and I so look forward to going to bed at night and then just like the information that I get back to help me navigate moving through this life through challenges through sadness has been has been really big for me so those are what is a dream partner it's someone uh so 
twice a month, I share my dreams with someone and we go through this process where we, sometimes we can re-enter the dream through creative imagination or play. Sometimes we just like, you'll title your dream like it was like a Hollywood movie and you'll walk the person through it without your interpretation of it. So just exactly what happened. And then we kind of go back and forth and we unfold the layers of the dream and, you know, young, like a bunch of like, psychoanalysts from, I don't even know when, I'm not great with like historical dates, but, um, you know, they started to realize that the dream time was a, like a huge healing opportunity and that, that, that there was something there worth examining. So through this careful examination of my dreams, I've really been able to open up this whole level of lucid, lucidity in my dream. So I've always been a lucid dreamer, but they've become even more lucid. It's like, it's kind of rare to like see yourself in your dream. Normally you're like third person, like you're, you're implied, like you're looking through your own eyes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I've just had all of these really amazing experiences um, with my dreams. So those are the, I think like next year I'm going to focus on dreaming my consciousness explorers group. And I guess whatever lights me up at that point. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with that. I want to like dig deeper into that. I'm going to need to like, I want to go into all of that. Um, what is sparking up my life this week is I have finally started embracing my like creative flow. Mm-hmm. I think for um a while I've like judged my creative process in a way, like thinking that it has to be super serious. Yeah. Um and so recently, probably in the past like three weeks or so, I've started incorporating dance into my mornings Um, and you know I'm a professional dancer it's like what I do for (laughs) a living and I think that since COVID has happened I've not it just kind of sometimes makes me sad to dance so I don't Mm, Um, and recently in this past like three weeks I just instead of trying to like meditate or and I still do that but not right before I go into a creative process like so instead of trying to meditate or sit or focus on breath is I like literally have been putting on Lizzo and just like dancing the shit out of it. Nice. I love it. And then sitting down and doing like three deep belly breaths and like get into it. And it feels like I just feel so much more open. And it's just this idea of like exploring creativity and exploring the creative process from like this playful side that yeah. has been scaring me a little bit, but also like really lighting me up. Mm, I love it. Yeah. And dance is a meditation. I feel like if anything that gets you in your body and into your breath and out of your thinking mind, like people rock climb and find the same place that like deep meditators do. And so I think, you know, if there's an element of bodyfulness and there's an element of like breath, like you've, you've meditated. And so I love it. Sometimes I'll do the same thing. I'll just dance until I like literally can't stand up Mm -hmm. and then I'll just... I'm like, all right, now I'm in the right side of my brain to like actually receive the information, be creative, all of it. So I think that's cool. Yeah, I love it. Um, tell us where we can find you or we can connect with you or we can do like all of your programs and amazing things. Tell us all the stuff. Yeah. So on social media, it's just at the girlfriend manifesto. I think I'm on, I think just Instagram I actually got off Facebook get off Facebook. If you haven't no, do what you want, <laughs> but and then off. it's just, yeah, exactly. And then it's just asiaophelia.com. Perfect. You have the most beautiful website yeah. too. So everyone should definitely go check that out. Um, Thank you. it was so lovely to get to connect with you and 
I want to hear like I wore a crop top for you today. Girl, me too. A crop top sweater (laughs) for those times. Girl, yes. For those times when like all of you is cold except for your belly, you know? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (sighs) This conversation really spoke to me, y'all. It just goes to show that Depending on our mindset and where we're at, it's so important to revisit things because they strike us differently. Um, Asia said two things in this conversation that I find myself returning to quite often. She says, the weight of unlived dreams is heavy. And the second thing is, your dream is a seed and it doesn't need to stand up to the pressure of taking care of you before it's ready. I feel that. I think if you are a creative being, you probably have felt both of those things very deeply in 2020. I know I did. So I just want to pause and take a moment and say, if you are feeling burnt out or uninspired or just like not yourself, take a break, take a break, take a break. It's hard. It is. It's not like you take a break and all of a sudden everything goes back to normal. You're going to feel like you should be doing a million things all the time, but that is social conditioning. That is what the world tells us we should be doing. I disagree. I think you need to take care of your spirit so that you can dream freely again. The world needs dreamers now more than ever. If you want to connect with Asia further, you can find her at asiaophelia.com or on the gram at the girlfriend manifesto. Also, friendly reminder, sign up for our new workshop, Awakening Your Creativity, over on Instagram at Pull It Together Pod or on our brand new fancy website, pullittogetherpod.com. All right, my beautiful humans, I hope you are having an incredible start to your new year. I'm Alex. Thank you for hanging with me as we pull it together. Pull it together.